Now uh, we've got Bram Suchecki uh, from the Perth Mint who's going to talk to us about London and the precious metals physical chain. And I can't say any more about that because I have no idea what he's going to say. Bram. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, this uh, presentation is a, um, a, a, a very, very, very close to what I give internally to all our new staff, particularly the accountants, the business analysts in the IT department, um, and the um, people that work in our treasury. So I've taken out all the sort of you know, company secret specific numbers, but um, this is exactly the same presentation. This is a sort of softening up presentation because the people that come into the Mint when they start come from what I call widget world, which is the world where you pay for things in dollars and you add some value to them and then you sell them for dollars. Whereas in the Perth Mint we treat gold and track it and account for it. We have a position called metals accountant. There are financial accountants, but then there's a guy called a metals accountant. So we really work with gold like money. And part of this is going to sort of explain that system. Um, this presentation, or very close to this, is exactly what I give every internal external auditor that comes to start to work with us. We've got to explain how does this business work, because we do things a bit differently. And I've given this to two ATO teams when they've come to do you know, those lovely audits that they do to check on us. So it's sort of, you're getting the secrets. Okay. So I'm just going to go through really quickly the, the value chain of gold. Um, and in that I'm talking about this very much maligned bullion bank London system and how that works and how it should work in its ideal state. And then I'm just going to talk about, if I get time, going into to contrast, because most people would understand how you hedge against fluctuating prices in a business that involves with commodities using futures or forwards. But I also just want to talk about leasing and how we use leasing to hedge ourselves, which is unusual. Not Actually, I don't think there's any mint that actually uses leasing to hedge. Because that you need a full-on proper treasury department. It's a little bit complex. And I'll just go through some advantages and disadvantages of it. When we get um, people new to the business, they say this is the value chain. May I lend your pointer? My laser. <laughs> I like this manual. Um, the thing that I point out to them, which obviously all you guys are aware of, is that all these links in this value chain are two-way. Because in most value chains, you know, you start with raw material, it goes through the production, wholesale and sold. It never comes back. But I say to our guys, our customers are also our suppliers. They give it back to us. Gold has this reusability. So that's the first thing that they've got to scratch their head over and go, gee, that's a funny business. You know, your customers sell the thing back to you. Um, and what I'm going to talk about today so is, is the involvement of these people in this value chain and how that, how that lovely gold bar moves through that chain and gets to you at the end. So in my little story, I've got some players here. We have our, our miner, a refiner, a bullion bank, myself, the Mint, some customers, and I've got what I called in here an ounce bank, which is also a bullion banks. Bullion banks provide these gold ounce bank accounts, as well as our conventional dollar accounts and our central bank. And each of these I put a little red dotted line, and what that signifies is that this miner has an account with this dollar bank. They've also got an account with the gold bank 
in ounces. And they also, in this case, have an account with the refiner. So I'm just going to, just setting the scene. So each of these people have got accounts. And that client there where you see the box he's dropping down into the mint, that's a depository client. He's holding gold with the mint. So that's his account with us. Us in the sense of himself. And then there's a central bank that also transacts through London. So let's start with some gold to begin our little tale. And of course I need to give people some money. Now you know, you can see what I've called them there, which is, follows on very well from Rudy's. I didn't know what Rudy was going to say, but that's what they are, aren't they? When you hold something in a bank account, it's IOUs. I owe you some money, or paper money in this sense. And I don't know if you've noticed there, but the ounce bank, he's got an asset. Now, of course, he's got to have a liability as a bank. So I'm going to give my bullion bank some money and some gold. He's got an IOU for gold. And of course, in here, his IOU, this bank has got gold against that IOU. Um, you'll notice that there's, uh, I haven't bothered putting anything behind those. They're just IOUs. But okay, maybe there's some assets there. <laughs> Property assets, I don't know whatever. Okay. So let's start a little story. So the first stage in getting this gold through, his miner gets it refined. So what does he do? Delivers physical to the refinery. And the refinery goes, thanks a lot. I will record that as an IAU. I owe you some gold. But it takes some time to get it refined. And then that miner transfers some IOUs to the refinery to pay for that refining cost, that charge, which is you know, a fraction of the amount of the gold. Now, that miner wants to get rid of, they don't really hold gold, they don't want to sell it for cash. Don't know why, they should pay dividends in gold, but, but they want to. Did you say it was gold? I found the money, the IOU with the dollar sign. Yeah. Okay, because I heard you say gold, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. Um, he wants to sell that. Now to sell that, I'm going to go back a couple of steps. First step is the bank, gold bank, leases some gold from the central bank. So the central bank will deliver gold into a London vault if it isn't there already. And central bank, or well, the bank records, okay, I use the central bank some gold. And the central bank has lost a physical asset, they've delivered it into the market, sitting in London, and what they record, they record a you owe me ounces. At this stage, it's you know, reasonably safe, it's backed by some gold, so the UOV, I suppose, is okay. Now that refiner, and you'll explain why he needs it, but he needs to lease in gold. So what does he do? So he goes to his gold bank and says, I need some gold. So they'll create an IOU, so a credit into his account, and the refiner will, the bank will record, you owe me some money, Mr. Refiner, I've given you an asset for that, and the refiner records, I've got an IOU, because I owe this gold, I've taken a loan. So I owe the bullion bank some gold, and in exchange for that, they've given me a credit in my account with them in London. Now the next step is that miner swaps that gold with, refiner swaps the gold with the miner because the miner doesn't actually want the physical. You could have a step here with that miner, I mean really the, the pure basis of refining is I refine the gold, here it is, give it back to me. Now what would the miner do with that? Ultimately they want to sell it for cash, 
But they don't want any hassle with having to arrange secure transport, ship it into London, and then sell it into the market. So refiners have said, look, don't worry about that. We're in the business of making things out of gold, so we'll keep that gold. You just want some amount that you can trade that you can sell for cash. So they swap it, and that literally is a swap. He, the refiner, gives the mine and says, I'll give you that IAU that I've got in London with the bullion bank, gold bank, and I'll extinguish that liability that I have to you. So what's happened now is that that refiner gets title to that physical gold and has effectively swapped it for an IOU. You might think they've got the better end of the bargain there. But, um, and you'll see that from the refinery's point of view, they've got a liability to the bank, which is now backed by gold. So from their point of view, their assets are in ounces, their liabilities are in ounces, they are backed, they're covered. And ultimately, you'll notice this IOU is backed by that bar, that IOU is backed by this bar, and this UOME that the bank is holding is ultimately backed by that physical bar sitting there. And of course, this introduces a very important thing, which is that is not that is backed by physical, this is backed by a claim to this person. But then that's banking. You take you know, an exposure to someone, you're lending them something, I mean, that's what banking's about. So the miner wants to sell that gold, they will ring up their bullion bank and say, can I do a transaction with you? And the bullion bank is in the business of trading, says sure. So they, he says, I can't give you some money. And the miner doesn't deliver physical gold to the bullion bank for that sale, he delivers that IOU, transfers it back. I won't worry about the bullion bank. The bullion bank in this case obviously is trading and hedging. I'm not going to get into that aspect of the, the trade. Um, and then that miner has now got some IOU dollars which it can hopefully use to turn into dividends. But we'll leave them there now at this point. So We've got some gold sitting in the refinery. Let's say a customer brings up the mints as I want to buy some unallocated gold. This happens frequently, thankfully. Hopefully more frequently. So they'll transfer some dollars into our account and we go, okay, we owe you some gold. So that's the sale. Now, of course, this situation we're not really very comfortable with because we've got an exposure because we now have a liability in ounces with backed by a dollar. It's not a like-for-like -like match. So we immediately, as soon as we've done that sale, we ring up our friendly bullion bank and say, look, we need to buy some gold. So they go, no problem. You give me some dollars, and I'll give you some of those IOUs. So from our point of view, at that point, we do that exchange simultaneously, which is why we have a treasury department. As soon as those guys that you ring up when you talk to them, you know, they're not, well, as soon as you literally hang up the phone, they're right on the phone calling. They're not going to wait around. Price moving too much. So we're sort of partially happy because we've got an ounce liability backed by an ounce denominated asset. So ounce for ounce. So the gold price goes up twice or drops by half. doesn't affect us. Our assets go up, our liabilities go up. It doesn't make any difference to us. But of course, we're a mint. Our job is to make things out of gold. That's how we actually main our main function. And you'll notice that we don't have any gold. So we're not really, we want, we want physical. So 
we notice that that refinery's got some gold, and we say to them, can we take some of that? And so we'll do a swap. We don't actually buy it. They give us the physical, and we say to them, we give you those IOUs that we have in our London account, and we'll transfer it to your London account. So now we're much more comfortable because we've got some real physical against the liability. And then what does the refinery do now that they've got that IOU? And I, actually, I probably should mention, of course, obviously, there's a small value-add charge as part of that as well. Because they've refined it and value-added to it, so there's a premium, not just the gold value that we transfer. We do obviously pay a small manufacturing premium, but if I put every single little dollar in there, it'd be far too complex. So we do pay a, a small fabrication value-adding charge for that gold, raw gold. But the refiner has got a loan, remember, now they don't have any gold, um, physical gold, but they've completed their part of the transaction, which is taking the gold from the mine, refining it, adding value and on selling it. So they don't have any more use for that loan, so they ring that bullion bank up and say, I want to repay that, here's that asset that I have with you, I'll give it back to you. And the bullion bank says, sure, fine, I will extinguish your debt. So the refinery sitting there with some refining fees and little fabrication charges from us made a profit. They've got no gold, the miner's got no gold at this point, and the gold's sitting up there at the mint. So what do we do? Well, our job's making coins. So we do a bit of work and make some coins. And then we get a call from our customer who says, I want to buy some of those coins from you. So we say, yes, no problem. We'll give you that gold and you give us some money. But this is a bit of deja vu. We're sort of back to where we were before. Where we've got this ounce liability with now a dollar backing it. So again, we look at that and go, not comfortable with that. We want to immediately buy gold. So again, we trade with our bullion bank. They give us an IOU and we pay them some dollars. Um, even at this point, Again, we're empty gold. Our job is being physical if we go to that client for the coins. So, and we bring up London where that IOU is sitting and we take delivery. So they give us the physical and they take away that credit that we had in the account. So, that is an example to uh, somewhat simplified, obviously, there's a bit more mechanics and a few more dollar amounts, premiums and swap premiums and fees like that. But I think what the point of this, you'll notice we started with three blobs of gold and we left with three blobs of gold. Um, they've just changed, but um, it's this physical move through that chain from the beginning to the end that is mirrored by this change in this London account. And you might say, well, this sounds interesting, why, why, how did this come about and why did it exist? And that's because it's a lot more efficient to trade those claims to gold between people transferring these ounce IOUs um, than it is for the ref re refiner or the miner to have to ship it to London to trade it, then they have to ship it back to the mint to trade it, then they have to ship it back and everything going through physically through a trading centre. So it's a lot more efficient to use a central clearinghouse in a way to do the trading for it with claims to gold that are sitting, hopefully, 
I'll use the word hopefully, but hopefully this gold bank has got real assets behind those liabilities. But it's easier to transfer those liabilities and let the physical move in the most efficient way through the chain. So for example, in Perth, at our refinery AGR, most of that gold is flowing straight into India because we're geographically closer to that. You know, it's not our gold going into London then being shipped from London into Switzerland or London now to the US for the US Mint to use to make coins. It's more efficient for the gold in this region to be moved into India, which is where hopefully most, most of we do try and value add into that. So if you can imagine, physically the gold moves its most efficient part to the end customer, using the London as a way of clearing and settling. Um, and maybe if, we, if I get time on Tuesday, because what to me, I know I'm stretching it a little bit, but this system is almost a, a real build. Because what this is, is gold moving quickly, less than 90 days from here. And believe me, none of these people really sit on it for too long. They're a business like anyone else. You don't sit on inventory for a long period of time. You want to turn your inventory over. So this metal is moving very quickly through that chain. And this bank is effectively discounting, in a sense, these IOUs on this gold as it's moving through the chain. So they are helping to, like, real bills fund it. But I won't go into that too much, and we can have a debate about it um, in the session. But I'll just make that point and have a think about it. Um, what I just want to do now is actually put maybe some numbers to it, because that's sort of somewhat theoretical, and maybe putting some actual hard numbers. So. To, to contrast that system where we're using leasing um, to something that probably we're all familiar with is hedging with futures. So, and, and I say this to the people that come into our business, I say, look, you know, if you're a car manufacturer um, or, or a person that's making goods out of a commodity, where the commodity input is a relatively small part of the end price that you're charging the customer, you know, it doesn't matter to you too much if your raw material price fluctuates. Okay? You know, um, but in businesses where the raw material component is highly volatile and is a fair part of the value, then obviously you can get wiped out very quickly if you buy something and the price changes on you before you can sell it. So, um, and in gold it's particularly like that, and most people are really shocked when they come into our business and we say, you know, we sell a coin for 6%, and that's the selling price, you know, that's our markup. It's got its gold value for $1,000 and we sell it for 1060 and then we even make a less a profit within that. You know, so that's very, very tight margins where you know a, 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 an actual retail store talks of markups of double the cost price. Um, so it's a very, very tight margin business. You haven't got a lot of room for error. It's not just gold, there's a lot of other businesses probably further down in commodity chains where the commodity component is a high part of the, the price they end up paying. So you've got to hedge yourself. So normally what you would do is I should have borrowed cash, but you'd buy gold and you'd hedge it by selling it in the future, which is either using it forward or the futures market, which is what it's designed for. And then you make your product, whatever it is. You sell that product at that current market price and you would therefore book a loss based on the price that you paid for it. Accountants would go, well, you paid $1,000, the gold price is now $700. You made a loss. That's how accountants think. Um, but you've got a hedge, so you buy back your hedge and you take an opposing profit or loss on it. So I'll just go through that in numbers quickly. So this is a little bit more simplified. Similar people, 
um, but I'll just put some numbers to it. So um, let's say we start this little story at $1,000 an ounce. Actually, when I had this presentation, I um, have been using the same one for a while. It was $500. <laughs> it increasingly got more and more relevant, and I had to eventually change it for the, the latest person to join. So let's say you're, a mint, you're using this, and this is um, probably how most of the other mints operate. They'll actually buy that gold. Unless, of course, they get it from their friend, the central banker, who supplies the gold, I'm not sure. Okay, so they buy the gold. So the accountants go, that's a $1,000 expense. Pay cash for that. Um, but what they then do is go into a forward sale. Futures price, futures contract. They forward sell it. So they go to ring their bullion bank and they enter into a contract and say, you will agree to buy this gold from me in the future for $1,000, because that's its price right now. Okay, now then, ignoring the basis and slight gaps for the simplicity. Um, so they've got that contract sitting there behind themselves. So their personal expenses in making that coin, I, I just picked $50 and make some nice easy numbers. So now the accountants go, you paid out $1,050 in cash, so I've made some entries to the expenses ledger. And then they advertise that goal. And of course, this is the next part that I explain to our new people, is I say in our business, we sell it as metal value plus something. We don't sell it at a fixed price, and they stretch their heads and I'm trying to understand what's all that about. But I say, it doesn't matter to us. Our customers said they're very mean people. They don't care that we paid $1,000 for that gold. They just say, the price is 700 right now. I'm only going to give you $700. I don't care what you paid for it. But, you know, I agree that they're lovely little coins, so I'll pay you some extra value because, you know, you put them in some nice packaging and they're proof coins or whatever they are. So I'll pay you $100 for them for the value of their nice beauty. So, sell them. What happens? Let's say that, yeah, sorry, let's say the price has dropped so the customer buys them. So they give us $700 for the metal, they give us $100 for the premium. We've got $800 revenue. Well, look at those expenses. The accountants aren't happy. So what do we do? Well, we've got to buy some gold. We've sold, we have physical, we want to replace that. So we use that customer's money to buy the replacement gold. And I'm using here a London, London account. We can take delivery of that and start the whole thing over again. Record another expense. The accountants really aren't happy now. Look at these guys. $1,700 costs and only made 800 bucks. This business is terrible. But we have a contract. So we say to the bullion bank, we wish to come claim on you on this contract that we entered into many, many weeks ago, months ago. So what do they do? They have to cough up. Let's not worry about how they hedge themselves, but that's the contract. That's the futures contract. So we're able to sell that credit in London. Now, everything looks good. So we've got $1,000 revenue, we made $50. And that $50 is, remember we had 50 bucks in here which we paid out, which is our cost of manufacture, and that was really the value that we sold, $100, so we made $50 profit. So I think this is just putting some numbers on the standard hedging mechanism of using futures. I mean, this is the legitimate use of futures market. Question. 
a numbered line sells forward contract, did you actually ship them the gold? No, we well, see in that case that that trade with that bullion bank was for this London credit. Okay, so you didn't actually forward the gold to them, you didn't settle it in London. No, you didn't settle it. Which would be, I mean in this case I'm sort of assuming a forward sale, which would be again settled in London market as opposed to a futures, but again the futures can be cash settled anyway. And that forward contract didn't cost you anything, did it? Well, I'm simplifying, obviously, yeah. There is a cost to it. I always want 100% hatched or there is a deviation sometimes? Yes, there is. I'll get to that to the end. Because you can't, I mean, if a guy rings us up, or rings any, any seller of precious metals up and says, I want to buy 10 ounces, you, you know, you try and ring your bullion banker and just laugh at you and go, go away. 1,000 ounces minimum trade. So yes, you run the position for the, for the, until you can accumulate enough of your little tiny trades that you've done and hopefully you've got lots and lots of selling going on so your 10 ounces add up to the 100 ounces and add up to 200 ounces and then you can go and cover that. So yes, any business doing this has a bit of a gap. On what side is the deviation? Long side or more? Depends. Could, could be it could be either because there's periods when clients are all selling. Usually when the price is going down. I didn't get to that. <laughs> <laughs> Do not joke. It's actually how it works. They buy when it's strong and they sell as it's dropping down. But, but we see that in our retail shop. There, you know, there are periods when um, you know, I had a bit of an exchange with someone about um, on one of the forums last week about you know, buying back bars and then reselling them. And I said, well, we, do we try to do that. We melt most of what we get in if it's not our own product. Um, but I said, even if it's our own product, generally the selling back is always in sort of an all-selling back. So we find out really one buys, so we just have to end up melting it down. So it does come in waves. Retail investment is definitely psychology is. Your capital account, what does it consist of? Paper, gold, or mixture? Well, the capital is dollars, because it's the, the only capital that we need is to fund really that $50, the real value-add cost expenses that we incur. Well, that means that basically you are short as far as gold is concerned. Because you carry your capital account in dollars. But not only for our cash, cash not, cost. Not in gold. Not in gold, no. So you are short of gold to the extent of your capital account. No. I'll get to the next slide. Because this is not what we do. This is actually just an example of a hedging. But I'll give you an example of a lease. Uh, we mentioned this, okay, so there's some issues with with using futures because it's not perfect. You know, there's a, a contract size, you've got to work, remember what we're doing is have, we have bought that gold, there's some delay in time before we sell those coins. So when you enter into that initial hedge, you, you paid a thousand dollars for the gold, you try and enter into the futures contract before we sell it for a thousand dollars of gold, you've got to pick a time period and the quantities of which you expect you're going to sell. We want to try and match that future sale to the to, uh, forward sale to the purchases that you're making as you're selling back forwards to your clients. So you've got to sort of estimate when you're going to sell, how much you can sell it for. Um, and the interesting thing which I try and tell our clients is, you know, and I contrast it to say a car manufacturer, say, you know, there are some commodity inputs into a car that fluctuate in prices. So someone like that would have futures contracts. 
But you know, in general markets, they would, you know, their market share is not going to go from 20% of the market to 40%. And their car sales, and this is a presentation I gave for many years ago, but you know, they don't suddenly drop. They generally go up with GDP growth. So even in those people who've got commodity price exposure, their markets are somewhat more stable. So you know, if the hedging is not perfect, it doesn't really matter too much. They're not suddenly going to change. But in our business, it's driven by the gold price. So the volumes can double very, very quickly. And therefore, if your hedges aren't lined up right, you know, you misestimate when you're going to sell and how much you're going to sell, which you can quite easily do because all of a sudden the gold price goes up and everyone wants to buy it, then you can find you're in a little bit of a mismatch. Now, you can roll contracts, you can buy and change them. I mean, there are ways to manage that, but there's little bits of costs involved. So just a little bit imperfect. Because you're sort of trying to say, I bought it now, and we're going to, when I'm going to sell. Um, now, you guys know all these points, but I have to make these points to new people because they're not aware of this. When anyone starts with the mint, I have to say, unlike gold, you can borrow. Unlike other things, you can borrow gold. Um, and it's interesting they call it leasing because leasing implies title. You know, you lease a car. It's still the guy's car. When you rent a house, you don't own the house. They still own the house. You're just using it for a while. So I think it's interesting to me when I came into this business that the choice of words wasn't borrow or lend, but it was lease. Because it's sort of like saying, that's my gold and I want it back. Um, but this is always interesting to new people when they start. Because I said, you can't do this with copper. You can't borrow copper. Copper doesn't have its own interest rate market. But you can do it with gold. So the way that we look at this is go, well, why should we borrow money and then buy gold? Why don't we just borrow the gold? We cut out a step. So, and you ask about our capital, you see I start the story with only $50, not a thousand. Okay, so just keep that in mind. Um, so what are the steps in what we do? Gold price a thousand dollars an ounce. So the first step is we don't buy the gold, we borrow it. So we owe the bank some gold and they give us a credit into their London account for one ounce of gold. I haven't modelled it, hopefully there's some gold sitting in there, let's leave that issue for the moment. Same with the early example back with Swallow. So we say the refiner will give you that ounce in London, that claim to gold, you give us some physical. No dollars here. See? So there's no capital. So we incur some expenses in making that coin. And that's the first entry into our ledger. $50 expense. And that's the only capital balance that we would need to keep to fund that. So then we advertise, just like the previous example. Current price, that's how we sell stuff. I still have the new people who are still scratching their head at that when I'm doing this presentation. Still trying to get their mind around this business. So the gold price has dropped now. Disaster. So we sell it. Same as before, all we get is $800. They don't care we paid 1000 or that the current price was 1000 they, they don't worry about what we did, they don't care. What it is now. You're very unfair, you guys. So now we've got $800 revenue, and straight away, 
Our treasury guys are on the phone and they're buying gold. And then back to the same as the previous example, $50 profit. So in this example, the points to take again is this trading of this plane to gold through London that we operate with. And in this method, still ends up with the same result. The gold price has dropped $300 from when we first got the gold in to start making the coin, but it doesn't make any difference to us. We still end up with a $50 profit. So in this sense, this use of leasing, which is what I call legitimate use of leasing, is a hedging mechanism for us. Presumably, actually, $50 you have to pay Ah, yeah, yeah, there's a lease charge, of course, that goes with that, but as the next slide shows, it's better all. This is even better. Because if you go back to the previous example of the hedge, you've got to borrow $1,000 at 5%, and then you enter your hedge and so on and so forth, you make $50. In this example, these nice people lend it to us for, I've just picked half a percent here, but you know, basically significantly lower. Now, of course, if you cast, and I can't tell you how much gold we've got, but it's pretty substantial. If you try and work out the differential between these two interest rates on tons and tons and tons of gold, that adds up. And what it means for us is that we can actually make the coins a lot cheaper and a lot more efficient. We have to pay full cash funding 5%, 6% on the value of the gold to fund it during that time that we're making it, the prices of gold coins would be a lot higher. Right. Just one question. What has it worth you guys went to the short-term lease rates of any gold? There's no such thing. No. Yeah, yeah, I know. That's a theoretical. Trust me, no one ever is paying us money to borrow from them. <laughs> They're always charging us. Actually, well, no, it's just because that, that is a derived rate. So it's trying to work off the forward price. It's an average forward price that LBMA is publishing. And then they're picking LIBOR, which is a, in this market particularly, is a theoretical price. Because it's not really factoring in credit risk with a counterparty. So the derived rate, lease rate, then starts to show negative, which is not logical. We guarantee ain't anyone paying us money to borrow. We'd love to do that, it'd be great. And the most important thing for our point of view as well, there's no hedging risk or forecasting error in this process because we sell, then we buy. And this is this point that they definitely all start scratching their head. Because in the widget business, you buy your material, and then you sell it. We go, no, 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 what we do is we sell first, and then we buy. And that sounds weird. But in that step, remember, we sold it first for cash, then we bought it. So if you sell it first, you know exactly how many ounces you sold it for and what price, and exactly when you sold it. So then you can immediately go and buy it. So you've got no gap between having bought it and what am I going to sell and when am I going to sell it. So it eliminates all that error for us, all that bothering around, worrying about you know, estimating and forecasting. Gold demand can double, doesn't affect us. So we don't have to buy, hedge, sell it, close the hedge, but more complex. And we get access to London liquidity, 
and the London spot price. Now that's important for us because we're in Australia. Australia is, whilst it's a huge producer of gold, there isn't a lot of demand for it here. So there's not a liquid buying, trading, selling market. The liquidity is in London. So by using that leasing and trading account balances in London, we get access to that effectively very, very good price. So again, it enables us to, to sell this thing very, very competitively. There is an issue. Is lease rates are very, very volatile. So they've been quite low for a, for a long period of time in recent history, but you know, you go back, you can see here this is quite significant. Okay? So if you say that the average here is about 1%, would be for a manufacturer of gold to be leasing, their lease interest rate would be 1%. And in the space of months, goes up five times. Now that's like operating in a business where your cash funding costs are 5% and all of a sudden they go to 25%. I mean that's, you know, could you run a business like that? It'd be very, very difficult. The important thing though is you'll notice that pretty much all the time they're under cash funding costs. So even though they're very volatile, they're always cheaper than having to borrow dollars to buy the gold. But this introduces a whole another problem because you do have to still, this is a real cost to the business if you're borrowing the gold to fund your production. You have to obviously factor that into the price that you're charging, that $100 premium that you're charging, you've got to factor that in obviously. So if you've got this volatility in your, even though it's really low cost of lending most of the time, makes it very hard in terms of profitability and judging what price you've got to sell at. So that introduces another, another risk. I would just mention here, depends how much time I've got. Well, borderline? Not, yes, not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot. I just mentioned that um, we. When did we start? We really got serious about the depository business here. Guess what? Guess it is. Okay? And I should show you the silver one of this, which is moving shockings, 20, 30% interest rates, 50% lease rates on silver for short periods of time. And what we did is that we had this volatility in our business and said, you know, whilst it's cheaper than doing cash and using hedges, it's still very difficult. And of course, the, my point is that what the depository business is, is that we're borrowing from you. So instead of us going to a bullion bank and saying we want to lease some gold in and use that to fund our operation, we're saying to the clients, give us your gold and let us use it to fund the operation. And of course, what you give it to us at is what? Interest rate. Zero. Then you might go, well that sounds like a bit of a, doesn't seem fair, but to store it physically you'd have to pay. So from our point of view, what we've done, and, the, and this is why I like the business model, is who gets this money? It's the bullion bankers. That's the ones we had to lease from. So what we've done is we've cut out the middleman. We go, you would have to pay to store, we would have to pay to borrow, so let's come in the middle. It's a win-win. And right now, for certainly for the mints operations, all the depository covers that, so we don't have this risk anymore. 
Um, we still have exposure through the refinery because the refineries, you know, throughput's so large and their requirements to fund all that value chain through to India is quite significant. So we still have an exposure, but there will come a point, um, and this is not sort of, I think if you think about it, the, there has to come a point that if we're offering free storage because we're using the gold, there's obviously a limit, has to be a limit to what we can use. And once we get to that limit, we can't continue to do it for nothing because to do something we have to start holding physical and that's going to incur costs in storage and insurance. So there will be a point at which the free unallocated will actually shut. And my view is that it's, it's, a, it's a great deal. It's a, you get to get gold back at, for no charge. We get to use it for no charge, but it won't go on forever. Now, at some point, the door will close and it will be more sooner rather than later. I can't tell you when, but it will stop. And then we will either have to probably decide to either not offer, certainly we'll stop the free unallocated, but um, whether we continue on, we'd have to continue on in very much a similar fashion to everyone else, which is to hold bars and charge a fee to store them. So it's a, it's a good use of gold as money, but it can't continue forever because there's only a natural limit for us. Now there is one other catch with the system, is that we're having to use London and those accounts, as you know, are unsecured creditors. That's what they are. Now, we're not in any illusion about that. We're aware of that. Using London Metals great advantages. Um, but just because it's unsecured doesn't necessarily mean that it's unbacked. Okay? I consider that highly unlikely because for it to be fully unbacked means the bank is just completely exposed to precious metal prices. They've got no ounce asset to their ounce liability. However, the question is, what is it backed by? And I would just say, because I'm running short, it's banking after all. Okay? So if you go right back to the beginning slide where I said there was that you owe me, the bank created that you owe me against the metal in the refinery. As soon as you have that disconnect, that's what banking is. Banking is, oh, I can't lend you that, and I, I'm of assessed your credit worthiness and I hope that you'll be able to repay me. So, You've got to keep in mind that we use this and it's a very efficient mechanism and it allows the industry to operate very efficiently, but it is unsecured and it is backed ultimately by the quality of what the Boeing Bank's got behind that. So we always keep that in mind, believe me. Uh, we're not under any illusion. Um, what the quality of those assets are, it's just like the bank system lending money against the house. Do you have any estimate of what ratio they have of how much gold they've let out, how much gold they've actually got? And Garber's been kicking around a figure of 20 to 1 recently. Is there any truth in that? Well, the question, I, I don't, <clears throat> you've got to be careful about what are they talking about. I don't, I don't think that it's not backed. They've got ounce assets. They have to have ounce assets against that ounce liability. Otherwise, they're just going short. It's the quality of those assets which is maybe what Ada are trying to get to. Now, if, you, if your asset is a you owe me to a speculator, a guy who's not in the business of actually making anything out of gold, then you'll ask yourself, that bank's got to be asking themselves the question, well, okay, if they don't make anything out of gold, what are they doing with it? Well, there's only one other thing you can do with gold, sell it. There's only two things you can do with leased gold. You can lease it in to support your operations, or you lease it in to sell it. Now then, what's the quality of that you owe me that the bank's holding? Because obviously the other person got the gold and then you start getting into credit issues. 
And to me, yes, to the extent that it's backed by those claims on people who've short-sold it, then it's not good quality. Which is why we keep on coming back to the unsecured creditor. Yeah. Well, the unallocated is that you can't do it forever. <clears throat> I understand that. So why don't you set up an allocated account and keep the unallocated limited in size, and then beyond that, it's allocated. And but that, that is probably exactly where we will go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm critical about your presentation, I must say, because uh, to my mind, highly unlikely is not the same as impossible. Well, I say hardly. Yeah. The other thing is that you could get out of this unpleasant role of unsecured creditor simply by uh, carrying your capital account in physical gold kept on home ground. You don't have to have it in London. After all, you are in the best position in the world anywhere of any enterprise mm. which could keep its capital in pure gold. Any other enterprise, if you wanted to do that, would, would be hard put. But you are, you are a user, ultimately better even than a, a jeweler. So you could keep 100% of your capital account in pure gold at home, in Perth, right? And whenever this discrepancy occurs in hedging, well, you go a little bit short, but you are basically long because your capital account is kept in gold. Uh, to my mind, when, when you... Uh, carry dollar accounts, you, this is equivalent to going short in gold, mm. to my mind. I, I don't see it. Now, all your examples are gold price drops $300 overnight, say. Okay, that's fine, this model works. But what if gold price increases $300 overnight? Then your capital will be wiped out. No, no, no. If this goes up 300, we still just make $50. See, our capital is only the money that we need to pay out those expenses in dollars. In cash flow, okay, not capital. That's right, yeah. So what would your shareholders say to having uh, how much shareholders funds would you have? Well, I think our, our shareholders funds equity is only 90 million. And that's... See, my point, Professor, is that this 50 is only 50 out of the 800. So our equity on our balance sheet now is 90 million, but if you look at our assets, with the depository liabilities alone are 2 billion, which is obviously our working requirements plus more. So, you know, we don't have that exposure. And we can talk about it. You have to say before. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian.